McGurk! I love Not typing. Not messing my Google Docs, Meeksy. Supergirl Radio is going live every night of the week. How do you like it? Is becoming a human burrito a plus or a minus? I don't know. It does seem snug. I mean, they say you are what you eat. Here I love that. So I do a podcast called Supergirl Radio, and one of our segments is Lena Luther Boardroom or Ballroom. Because really? She looks like a boss in this coat. Nasty Luther, like a different Luther? It's not just Lena being mean? No. <laughs> Helen Slater here. So fun to know that you're hosting a podcast called Supergirl Radio. Welcome to Supergirl Radio, your source for all things related to the character of Kara Zor-El. My name is Rebecca Johnson. I'm Morgan Glennon. And we are live and wired on the DC TV podcast YouTube channel and the Supergirl Radio Facebook, Facebook page to discuss and review the Tomorrowverse animated movie, Superman, Man of Tomorrow. And the reason we're doing this is because we watched the Tomorrowverse version of Crisis on Infinite Earths and uh, we were pretty confused by it. Confused. Uh, so, so we're going to go right back to the beginning of the Tomorrowverse and watch all of the movies and discuss all the things so that we can catch up by the time that the second part of, uh, I think it's called Justice I think League, we're gonna, on Infant Earth. I think part by two. part two, we're going to know. We're going to understand. We're <laughs> finally going to get it. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to know all the Easter eggs and know who all the characters are and what they've been through. Uh, we have no idea when part two is coming out, but hopefully by the time that we get through all of the Tomorrowverse movies, uh, it will be time for part two and we will be prepared. Uh, but before we get into discussing the movie, we need to get to the news. Laura Vander Vandervoort uh, posted to Instagram to celebrate the newest member of the Supergirl legacy family being cast. Millie Alcock uh, share some fan art uh, by at Buffy Tuville of her time in the Cape, as well as a few videos about the symbolic and historical importance of Supergirl that feature Laura, Helen Slater, uh, Melissa Benoist and Sasha Kaje. Uh, Yes, so uh, Laura Vandewort putting her reaction to the casting of Millie Alcock out there with some cool, I guess, AI-generated, looks AI to me, uh, but maybe <laughs> somebody could have, I guess, drawn that, but it, it could be <laughs> real art. <laughs> <laughs> but it looks like AI-generated, but it's pretty cool. Uh, so she uh, chimed in about the Millie Alcock casting. Laura, of course, was uh, Kara Kent slash Supergirl on Smallville. Uh, so she is uh, celebrating the newest edition of the live action Supergirls to uh, that little uh, elite family of ladies who have played uh, Supergirl on the big and small screen. So pretty cool that Laura chimed in about that. So uh, glad to see the Supergirls supporting each other. Well, uh, in addition to that, uh, another uh, past Supergirl has some big news happening. So uh, Melissa Benoist returns to journalism in The Girls on the Bus first look. So we got a first look at her new TV show, The Girls on the Bus, that is going to be on Max. Yes, uh, uh, Max on March 14th is when the series premiere is happening. So we do know when that is going to be going it down. <laughs> uh, perhaps we will do a pilot pod for that one. 
Uh, but uh, we know that uh, March 14th is that date. So on the series, Melissa Benoist, Carla Ju, I always have trouble with her name, Carla Jujino, uh, Natasha Benham, and Christina Elmore will play four journalists with varying points of view, all trying to survive the chaos of the 2016 campaign trail. Uh, I think this is based on uh, Amy Chozik, I believe is her name. Uh, she wrote a book about her real life experience uh, with this story. And uh, she credits Berlanti, Greg Berlanti, with the idea to cast Melissa Benoist, whom he'd worked with on Supergirl, uh, where she played a very different kind of reporter, perhaps a reporter who uh, barely went into work, but somehow won a Pulitzer. I would say that's pretty different. I would say that's pretty different from somebody like on the campaign trail, you know, like doing their job every day. Hers was more like a kind of a sometimes thing. <laughs> when, it, when it fit into her schedule. When it felt right, you know, when the spirit. It moved her, she would show up for work, but not often. <laughs> uh, so continuing in this Entertainment Weekly uh, bit, it was a pretty long article. I've got it linked in the video description below, and it will also be in the audio, audio podcast show notes. You can read the whole thing. I just tried to pull the necessary bits out. Uh, Chozik, uh, the real life reporter that this story I think is based on, uh, said that I knew she was adorable, talking about Melissa Benoist, and could hit all the emotional notes. I did not know how naturally comedic she is. She's so funny. I think we knew that. I feel like uh, Melissa Benoist has always had some uh, uh, humorous uh, parts of her personality, even playing Supergirl. Uh, the article also says, and humor is a big part of the show on, of Girls on the Bus. Yes, it's about politics, and yes, it's airing during an election uh, election year, but there's also romance, intrigue, and a shirtless Scott Foley, who I don't know, <laughs> but that sounds exciting. Uh, he, he's from uh, Felicity, <laughs> which is where oh. I mostly remember him, uh, but he was also in uh, one of the Shonda Rhyme shows. I want to say Scandal because that feels right, but it could be, it could have been any of them. It could have been all a lot of them. Of Maybe yeah. he's in all of the Shonda Rhyme shows. <laughs> what do he I just, know? He just hops around the Shonda Rhyme's universe uh, from part to part. Uh, it's, it also says Chozik is hoping the show can serve as an outlet for viewers. Uh, saying, quote, things are really dark right now in politics, in media, whether it's layoffs or distrust, distrust in media. And I think our show is an antidote, an, an escape, uh, unquote, she says. And then she says, uh, there's a lot of hope and heart in it. Also, uh, Chozik says, the other thing I'm really proud of is that I think it really celebrates journalism. It makes the job look cool and it shows how hard it is to devote your life to the road. It's prestigious but it's not glamorous, unquote. Uh, the article says, at its core, the girls on the bus is the story of four women who discover they have more in common than they ever would have thought before they all walked onto that bus. Uh, Chozik says, quote, we really do feel like the heart of the show is female friendship. This environment puts them together. You have to make conversation with the Fox News reporter sitting next to you at every event. Maybe you find that you have more in common than you think, unquote. And uh, as Chozik sums, up, uh, uh, sums it up, she says, this is a pretty polarized time, but not on our bus, unquote. And that's how I know this is a fictional story. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Sounds right. Uh, I, I feel like I also feel like this. They've been talking about making this show for about a hundred years. Um, it has so, been long in development. It feels like it's been a really long time. Since, like when it was announced, I was like, "Oh, that sounds like it could be okay." And then, like five years later, it's like it's coming out. I'm like, "What?" 
It's happening? <laughs> Finally. I guess they timed it just right for another election stuff. <laughs> They're like, you know what people want right now? A political show. Shows that's, about politics. Doesn't yeah. feel like just staring into the void and screaming. <laughs> <laughs> that actually sounds pretty great. I'm going to be honest. Uh, so, so there is my, my political show where it's just me screaming into a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> it would be very cathartic. I it think. would be. Yeah. <laughs> Scream time with Morgan. <laughs> Um, well, we do have some uh, images from the show. Uh, I don't know exactly who all of these people are, but they do. Ha- Entertainment Weekly did have some pictures of uh, one of those looked- girls was wearing at least five different pairs of pants all at <laughs> once. <laughs> a very eclectic group of girls on the bus, and I don't know are they physically on the bus? Did they climb on top? Did of they the climb bus? on top of the bus? <laughs> they're what literally if- on the bus. What if, like, what they're really doing is like they're not telling us, but the actual the entire show is just like a bottle episode. Like the entire show just happens on the bus like we never get <laughs> off the bus <laughs> they have to ride from place to place like strapped in little seats that are on top of the bus. <laughs> on top of the bus do you think that they're in the bus but they're actually on the bus <laughs> that's the thing <laughs> that sounds like that would be really uh adventurous and i feel like you're putting a little risk uh in the in exactly the, in the show oh, is, it, is it a little dangerous yeah. maybe to ride <laughs> on the bus <laughs> they're they're really uh putting their lives on the line for journalism uh so that's very exciting you see the title and you're like yeah the girls on the bus like they're on the bus right it's like no no that would be in the bus like sitting in the bus. <laughs> what they are is on the bus they're riding on the they're screaming their questions into the window <laughs> none of the candidates can hear because of the <laughs> because of the wind <laughs> what if they actually um like had a microphone and they somehow like were like shouting at people like as they drove by like they had like a like a some sort of microphone that projected out from the bus <laughs> what do you think about oh god he's gone you want to stop doing it while the bus is moving <laughs> this is a show i would watch <laughs> i think that listen it might be a little bit different than the what the creators imagined but is it a better version of the show i mean who's to say yeah. <laughs> um so we have uh melissa benoist on the phone in what looks like a hotel room she's got a laptop of uh political stickers on the back there uh, really digging into the political, uh, you know, journalism. from seventy two when yeah. she was definitely alive. <laughs> <laughs> she just really loves history, Morgan. She does. Uh, uh, so uh, I'm not sure. Is this this isn't Scott Foley? Is it? It's this, not Scott Foley. Okay, no. I don't know. Who, I, I don't know who this actor is, but uh, they seem like they're. I don't know. Are they vibing a little bit? This this may be part of the romance that was Outside mentioned in the, the bars. <laughs> When they leave the top of the bus, they actually meet people. It's a it's a real uh, emotional human part of the show. <laughs> they actually go and encounter other people. My favorite part of their character journeys is when they left the bus. <laughs> uh, so there's another picture of Carla Giugino and uh, Melissa Bonois in what looks like uh, like a Thirty Rock elevator. It looks like one of the elevators that they got in. <laughs> Melissa Bonois is yelling into the phone, Lennon! <laughs> <laughs> but in some sort of uh, elevator, it looks like a uh, wintertime. Maybe they've got some 
big coats, coats on. They look on. a little cold. Uh, and then there's a, a shot that Entertainment Weekly had of them in the bus. Oh, so my God. Is- <laughs> we're on the bus now. <laughs> <laughs> they went from on the bus to in the bus. Um, so it looks like they are uh, talking. Uh, Melissa Benoist is talking to another one of, I presume, the girls in the bus. Um, so there's uh, our first look at uh, the girls on the bus. Uh, that is uh, going to be premiering on Max on March. What did I say? March 14th. So we will be on the Just lookout for that. Corner. So uh, if you would like to watch that, maybe you could watch it uh, for preparation uh, for a Supergirl Radio pilot pod. And we'll have some fun with um, Elizabeth Benoist's new show uh, <laughs> that is very uh, politically timed for an election year uh, that hopefully will have some humor and some romance and some heart to it. And Scott Foley apparently shirtless. They're they're you know they're promising things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that does seem to be guaranteed. It does. It does. Uh, speaking of uh, our Supergirl cast in different shows, uh, Kyler Lee commented on living up to fan expectations while speaking with Screen Rant at the Saturn Awards, offering advice to Alcock about taking on the role of Supergirl. Kyler said, those are big shoes to fill, obviously. Know your beep. <laughs> uh, it's it's kind of, it's like stuff. Know your stuff. Yeah, the, uh, the S word. Yes. <laughs> asterisk. asterisk. Um, <laughs> do your research and just have fun. Everyone's interpretation is going to be different. And you can't listen to absolutely everybody out there. Just play, uh, just play it with as much heart and soul as you've got and do Supergirl right. Which seems like very good advice to me. I think that's great advice. Uh, knowing your stuff, knowing I think your is stuff. very important. That means knowing your lines, knowing what you're doing for the day, know your uh, your maybe some of your comic book history. You've got it. Millie Alcox got a comic book that she can reference specifically. Yeah, so she should know Supergirl read Woman that of tomorrow. One. <laughs> yeah, maybe for maybe, sure. Maybe read that one. We can we least. can suggest some <laughs> other ones. Does she want to know about? About her uh, time as a soap opera actress, we got you there. Yeah, we got that. So <laughs> maybe uh, what if what if Tyler Lee was like, listen to Supergirl radio. They will, <laughs> <laughs> they will they will tell you about the different errors of Supergirl. Just where you were available as a resource. I feel like we're a pretty good resource. I we have over four hundred okay. episodes. We've been doing it since twenty fifteen. I think we've covered a lot of ground with Supergirl. I feel like if Millie Alcock was like, ooh, in preparation, uh, Kyler Lee told me to know my stuff. I should maybe let's see if there's a podcast out there. Guess we- what there is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Tom King might have uh, put a put a little oh. reference in Millie Alcock's oh. here. I don't know. I'm just saying. Friend, Friend of, the of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Tom King. <laughs> so it, it's cool that Kyler is um, uh, uh, passing on some advice from her time as a uh, as an actor on the Supergirl TV series, the sister of Supergirl, giving her that advice. And actually one of the directors of several episodes. So knowing, uh, you true. know, how to direct somebody, how to uh, have somebody play Supergirl, especially uh, Kyler directed the uh the young Kara Isabella Vidovich in season six. Oh, that's so, true. So she knew how to tell her, like, this is what Supergirl would do. So Kyler did know her stuff. So I think that's really cool that she gave her that advice. Um, I guess uh, before we get into the um, 
discussion on the movie because I think that's going to wrap us up on the news. I think so. Um, I wanted to uh, hop in the chat because there's some girls on the bus chatter oh. in the chat. And um, I thought that was interesting. Daryl asks, are they waiting on the bus? Maybe. Maybe. I, I'm sure there's... I'm sure there's lots of waiting on the bus uh, when you have to ride on the bus. Um, am I am I coming through? Am I? Okay? Yeah. Oh, okay. There's a little bit of a delay on my end, but I just wanted to oh, check no. that there was nothing happening. Okay. All right. I feel like it's okay. But as long as you see it and hear it, okay. And I see it and hear it, okay. I think we're okay. I think we're good. Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, let's see. Mark says uh, they could switch it up in Iowa. It could be the girls in the truck bed. Listen. That's season As, two. That's that is a season two storyline. <laughs> Mark, let's not get ahead of ourselves. They're in the bus. They're on the bus. Can't throw they're a truck around in the there. bus. They're around the bus. <laughs> they could be behind the bus. <laughs> Don't be in front of the about, bus. Don't be in front of the bus. <laughs> Don't. But they're sort of near the bus, sort of around. You know. <laughs> What if they get left by the bus? Oh my God, what if they get left by the bus? Then they won't be anywhere near the bus. They won't be on the bus or in the bus. Oh my God, maybe that's the way that the season ends. (laughs) Cliffhanger. Where's the bus, they ask. (laughs) Who are we if not the buses? (laughs) If not for the bus. That's Uh, like an existential crisis. I really like this version of the show. I'm going to be really disappointed if it's not like that on Mac. I I wonder if there'll be enough bus content for us. I'm I'm suspicious there won't be. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. Well, I'm now really excited about the girls on the bus. Uh, So I just wanted to address people's uh, chats about the girls on the bus before we moved on. Okay. Well, I think we've got all of our news uh, in uh, out of the way. And now we can get talking about uh, our movie that we're going to be discussing here. Uh, Superman Man of Tomorrow is the first movie in the Tomorrowverse series of movies. So we're going to be talking about that. And uh, Morgan, was this the first time you had watched Superman Man of Tomorrow? It was yep uh i didn't see this when it first came out uh i think i maybe would have watched it if i had known uh but you know it was 2020 and there was a lot of other stuff going on at the time <laughs> it was a little busy <laughs> there were there were things happening yeah i mean i spent most of that year in my pajamas just kind of pressed up against a window looking out at the world <laughs> so i didn't really have the time you know uh to to click around on then HBO max um, and really find it. But uh, yeah, so I missed this one. I didn't actually, uh, I didn't know it came out. So uh, I had sort of seen a little bit of it, but I had not watched it all the way through. So this was a good chance for me to actually finish the movie. Uh, So, uh, so that's good to actually start it and finish it. Um, So I guess to get us started talking about the movie, uh, since Superman is in the title, let's uh, get to him first. Uh, So what did you think about uh, Clark Kent slash Superman in this movie? You know what? I will say it was a little bit, I didn't know it was going to be an origin story. So I was surprised about that going in. I I thought it was kind of just going to be more of a, just a Superman, a story about Superman. But we, we really get like very origin-y 
uh, very quickly in this story. And I feel like because it was an origin story, because it was about a young Clark Kent, it was a little hard not to compare it to my adventures with Superman, which we have just watched within like what the last six months. And, um, I feel like that's maybe unfortunate for this movie. This obviously came out way before my adventures with Superman. Um, but I watched it afterwards. And so I didn't, I didn't like it as much. Uh, I just like the, the versions of the characters that my adventures with Superman, they, they sort of did a, a similar take where it's like a young Clark Kent. It's a young Lois Lane before they're like the famous reporters. Um, and I just kind of felt like they were going for sort of the same thing, but I felt like the other animated show did it a little bit better, which is not fair. Again, this is not fair to this movie because my adventures with Superman came out after this movie. So one could argue that like maybe they were inspired by this movie, but I don't know. I feel like the comparison didn't do this one any favors and to to be fair my ventures with superman is a tv series that has the opportunity to have a lot of time uh time frame and this was a movie so uh only had about an hour and a half but i will say that's interesting you bring that up because i had the same thought about my adventures with superman very similar in terms of uh clark trying to discover his kryptonian heritage and then even the Lois Lane live streaming and the uh, monstrous parasite causing, you know, wreckage in Metropolis. Those are a lot of the same beats in my adventures with Superman. So it did feel a little bit uh, samesies. I even thought that the mo- that the parasite monster looked a little bit anime-esque it looked a little bit like it was inspired from like monsters from like neon genesis evangelion and stuff like that to the point where it did kind of remind me of some of the monsters that they have on my adventures with superman except that the in my adventures with superman it is like very anime inspired the art style and some some of the story beats whereas this one it just felt like that element of it was a little bit anime inspired but yeah i it was hard not to see parallels between the two uh properties even though they were probably developed far away from each other uh and it just tend it was just because they take place at sort of a similar time in superman's life yeah, I tried not to compare it, but uh, even though I liked Ron Troop in this movie, I did miss Conspiracy Theory Jimmy Olsen. I tried not to put that on the movie, <laughs> but, uh, but I did think about him. Flamebird! <laughs> oh, 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 shoot. Oh. I, have, I have the sound effects somewhere. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to be late on it. Yeah, that was, beautiful. That was, that was really <laughs> late, but uh, yes, um, uh, I, I'm not on on it because we're not talking about my adventures with Superman. So I got to get uh, uh, a little faster with that. Um, yeah, I think they uh, tried to do a lot of uh, groundwork in trying to establish uh, Cal Cal or Clark's uh, journey of discovering his Kryptonian side. And what I thought was interesting is they used Martian Manhunter to do it. Uh, because he is the one who uh, knows a little bit more about his Kryptonian heritage and also helps him figure out the little uh, keepsake of memories, of Kryptonian memories that he has. Um, So uh, I guess in conjunction with talking about Superman, what did you think about uh, Martian Manhunter? 
I was excited that Martian Manhunter was in this. I'm a I'm a big I'm a big Martian Manhunter fan now after Supergirl the uh the TV show. Uh you know, I was excited to see Space Dad. I was like, "Oh my god. <laughs> Space Dad still dadding." Um <laughs> I I thought it was a, you know, it was a pretty interesting uh, look at the character. He's kind of uh, a mentor to Clark and I liked that aspect of it. Um, and I like that he sort of teaches Clark about himself, uh, cause Clark doesn't really know who he is really until, you know, until he really starts to talk to Martian Manhunter. I will say, uh, and this is a spoiler for the movie. Um, so if you haven't seen the movie and you don't want to be spoiled on something, I'm sorry. Um, they kill him at one point. He mm. just straight up dies. Um, and I was like. First off, how dare you? Secondly, <laughs> how dare you? Uh, I was so mad. I was like, I cannot, I can't, I have to look away. <laughs> and then uh, later on, he comes back and he was like, JK, that was all in your mind. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And then again, uh, just getting ahead of it. Lobo is in this movie. He's really funny. He's kind of ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> He dies. And I was like, oh, tough, tough, <laughs> tough breaks for Lobo is what I thought. Oh, man, I was enjoying him. I was enjoying his <laughs> cheeky little presence in the movie. But you know what? You got to have stakes is the thing. You got to have right, stakes yeah, in yeah. the movie, right? You got to – people can die sometimes. Okay. But here's the thing. At the end of the movie, he's just fine too. We saw <laughs> his severed arm just kind yes. of slowly, like over the course of like 30 seconds – go down into the water and i thought this is excessive <laughs> why real bloody real bloody real excessive <laughs> it took too long and it was very strange <laughs> and yet at the end of the movie there he is hands and all uh <laughs> and i was like so two people died in this movie but no one died in this movie and i feel like it kind of <laughs> it kind of deflated some of the like the air out of the movie that like either have them die or don't maybe <laughs> you can maybe fake out with one person yeah yeah one maybe two is too much of a fake out it's like oh okay so no one actually died no one can ever die and <laughs> it was a little bit i feel like it kind of undercut the dramatic tension that it felt like they were trying to build by having character deaths by then immediately undoing them so I guess uh, my question uh, to your question uh, would be, what do you think about the term uh, immortality? Because uh, at the end, uh, Superman says something to the effect of, you could have told me about your Im immortality, kind yeah. of justifying how he's still alive. But m my question to you is, if you're immortal, does that mean you can can uh put yourself back together that, so does yeah that mean you just never like have a physical like death like a death like a decay a de so okay yeah. this is i'm glad that you brought it up because i wanted <laughs> to ask you about it because so i don't have a ton of familiarity with lobo as a character uh, i've seen him like pop up and stuff bunsen's seen him in stuff bunsen's a big fan bunsen is a bigger fan of lobo than i am <laughs> obviously that's why he had to be here right now um on this live stream uh so I was just like, does uh, is this like a thing about the character where sometimes he just picks up his severed arm and just kind of 
shoves it back. I don't know what he's my thought about immortality was like kind of vampire rules, right? Like they don't die unless you kill them and then maybe That's they're it. dead. That's yeah. pro- then they're probably dead. But uh this version of immortality is kind of like nothing matters. There's no repercussions. He could be sort of exploded. Not sort of he exploded himself. Weren't there like little bits of pieces of him? How long do you think it took all the little Lobo pieces to like (laughs) gather themselves back together again? Like I just, I had many questions when he showed up completely fine at the end. Like, wait a minute. What? You blew up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've, uh, I've understood immortality in fictional stories like this to just be that like, you will live a long time, but never age. And you could, I guess, be killed at some point, but you won't come back. That's that, how, that's how that I've sort of my view it. of immortality. I see in the chat, Mark says Lobo regenerates from any random body part. And I think they wanted to establish that. So is this like a just kind of a known part of the character like as long as there is a bit of lobo lobo <laughs> remains <laughs> that was not actually something i knew i only really knew about lobo from uh superman the animated series and the little bit he's in krypton season two which he's fit the live action lobo on krypton the sci-fi mm-hmm. show is so good Krypton is a very underrated version of Superman. It just, it really is. It's a good show. We should um, do a pilot pod about it. We at some should. Point. We should. But really, you have to watch the whole thing. The whole season, <laughs> the first season one is just mwah, with the brainiac. Um, but uh, so I had seen versions of Lobo, but I did not know about that. I was also very surprised by Lobo's power set. He was like punching Superman. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, he was doing okay. Hang on, he could go toe to toe with Superman. I didn't realize how powerful he was. Uh, I was very surprised by that. That Uh, uh, I uh, I see. Yeah, in the the chat, mind the gap says Lobo first appeared in the Omega Men. He was supposed to be a satire of cool characters like Wolverine that emerged in the eighties. So well, he he does seem like a pretty cool dude. He, so he rides around on a motorcycle. He's got a big cigar. <laughs> so he's with the Omega Men, like the 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 famous Omega Men soap, like soap. <gasps> oh my god, he's Lobo <laughs> friends with soap. <laughs> Lobo, tell us all about soap. <laughs> Mark does say we saw him do it in the Krypton show. He cut off his hands, uh, skid it under a door, died, and then the hand regenerated into him. Well, I've oh. I've repressed that memory of that. I guess I need to watch uh, Krypton season two. Some wild uh, stuff was going on in that show. Yeah, I'll have to rewatch it. It's been a while. I really enjoyed uh, Krypton. I'll have to I'll have to go back and check that out. But yeah, some of the Lobo stuff, I was like, what is this? I feel like there could have been a little bit more exposition for us non Lobo maniacs, <laughs> Lobo <laughs> Lobo fans. You know, uh, just to kind of give us a little bit of like. Hey, as long as Lobo's hand is underwater, it's growing a new Lobo as we speak. (laughs) (laughs) Because I don't feel like that was well established. It was just like, I'm a mortal. And and it's like, okay, uh, but you're also in many pieces. But it sounds like this is just a part of the character 
that he can just kind of regenerate from any part of him. Uh, if he gets killed, he just pops back up. I think the word that Superman should have used would have been like regenerated. Yes. Not immortal. I that like, would have helped I, me actually. I feel like that's a, that's a big distinction um, between those two things. Not that uh, really either of those is a realistic <laughs> option, but, uh, but I think it would have helped in terms of understanding it. I think I would have immediately understood if he had said, you should have told me you regenerate. Yeah. And then I wouldn't have had, I honestly probably wouldn't have had any follow-up questions. I would have just been like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I had many follow-up questions when he just kind of showed up at the end. As did Bunsen. <laughs> Bunsen, h- how many follow-up questions did you, well, Bunsen's a Lobo, a Lobo fanatic. Yeah, really. I mean, uh, Lobo's really wearing his colors. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, that's true. Maybe Lobo's a Bunsen fanatic. Right. <laughs> he's just cosplaying as Bunsen is what he's doing. It it cracks me up how much Bunsen just like likes to be here. He just likes to be involved. Uh, he's not. He's like not even being bad at this point. He's no. just sitting here listening. Yeah. Well, uh, feel free to to do that if you if you want to, Bunsen. <laughs> But anytime you want to contribute, buddy, <laughs> feel free. Feel free. Oh, looking right at the camera. Right at the camera. Perfect. I'm going to screenshot that later. <laughs> he is real into it now. <laughs> That's right, buddy. So, so you're telling me that the the capes I said the cats should not like them because I really think I if wish. he's going to come up to the pod for the podcast, you <laughs> he should might have as well. On. He could wear his little Superman cape, couldn't you? He's to be fair, Bunsen is the one that would be more likely to keep it on. Oh, okay. Instead of like immediately rebelling. <laughs> uh, I put it on, I put it on both of them. Beaker like destroyed it immediately. Oh, okay. Bunsen just sat there looking like he wanted to die. Uh, <laughs> but the cape was on him, so it was real cute. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Bunsen is welcomed to the podcast if he wants to uh, contribute any of his, <laughs> his thoughts. Uh, it looks like we do have uh, some more thoughts about uh, Lobo. Mind the Gap says the problem with Lobo is the more he shows up, the less fun he is. It almost helps when he shows up and does something and leaves the story. So that's kind of what he did here. He did have a, a significant impact in terms of uh, how they tried to get rid of Parasite. Um, but I think uh, I think there was the, the right amount of Lobo, I felt like, in yeah. the story. I agree. I think that he was he was fun in this one. And I feel like because at the end he's like, okay, that was great. Peace out. Uh, (laughs) He didn't really overstay his welcome. Like you got enough of Lobo. He got to be like snarky and do some like uh, actiony things. And then at the end, he decides to just go and leave. Yeah, I felt really bad for Lois, who interviews him, thinking that's going to be a great connection <laughs> to her Superman piece. And he... Uh, he's not he's, helpful. He He's kind of... You know, that interview does not go great. Uh, he teases her about a Kryptonian army invasion just to see the terrified look on her face. And he also demonst- he demonstrates uh, what I think is called the Aphylaxian mating dance, uh, <laughs> and uh, which was uh, highly disturbing. But uh, the uh, when I looked up the Aphylaxians in DC Comics, they were an alien race that sent several of its warriors to Earth to see who could conquer the planet first. 
as a means of determining who would become the new ruler of their home planet. Ah. Their invasion led to the creation of the Justice League, and their first appearance was Justice League of America number nine from February 1962. So, Ooh, uh, deep cut. Lobo dropping some deep cuts in his weird Appalachian mating dance. <laughs> Uh, so I appreciated that. Uh, one thing I didn't appreciate about Lobo is he's pretty much the cause of Parasite. He is sort of, he's yeah, like you the know, reason why Parasite becomes a thing. And, and then uh, later he's kind of like, who could have foreseen this? <laughs> <laughs> you, he, didn't apo- he didn't apologize he for it. One he, bit. Wasn't even, he wasn't even sad about it. He- <laughs> He felt nothing. <laughs> he ruined this poor man's life. Rudy that Jones. poor man turned into an anime monster and he didn't even say sorry. Yeah, I, I was like that. He could have owned up to that, but he definitely <laughs> did not. So that was the one thing I did not care uh, for with Lobo in this story. Um, I guess uh, we could talk about since uh, since we sort of mentioned Parasite, we we uh, we talked about him a little bit. But um, what did you think about uh I guess not necessarily about the monster side of it, but the human element to it, because Clark actually has a, a, a relationship with this character, Rudy Jones, and tries to help him. What did you think about uh, Superman and Parasite's relationship? Yeah, I think it was a good idea to give Parasite, like, a, not like exactly a tragic backstory, but some backstory to make us care more about the character and also more about Clark's um, fight with the character. Um, I think it kind of gave the, the movie a little bit of emotional heft that, you know, you feel bad for this character who seems like he's a nice guy and just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I I'm assuming Clark might even feel bad that like, you know, he couldn't save, uh, couldn't save parasite from, becoming parasite and also at the end i think it it made um it made the movie a little bit gave it more depth that parasite is actually kind of the one who saves the day he um sacrifices himself to stop what was it like an atomic bomb or something i got a little fuzzy on some of the details towards the end yeah that i was a little confused on because i thought he was just going i kind of like that interpretation though that he was doing it self-sacrificially. It seemed to me that he still wanted power. I guess you could read it both ways that he, he saw that there was another big power source and he went towards it. Um, But I I hadn't thought of that, that maybe he, maybe he did it as a means to, because Superman does give him a hope speech. He Uh, does. Uh, he tries to pull a playbook out of Supergirl's, uh, a play out of Supergirl's playbook. But uh, what I loved about that is the hope speech didn't seem to work, but maybe it did. If going by your interpretation, maybe his his hope speech about wanting to protect people and having that same, like uh, they say that Parasite can not only take Superman's powers, but also his emotions and his, his essence. And Superman talks about, you know, if you're like me, you love and care about your family and friends and you want to protect them. So maybe Parasite takes that part of Superman's essence and does that at the end in order to protect all of those people from himself. That's a really cool read on that. That was kind of the read that I took on it, especially because right before he makes that choice to go to, uh, you know, the big power source, he, I think, uh, 
like Superman tries to stop him and he absorbs more of like Superman's powers again. Uh, and earlier when he had started to give that hope speech, it started to work where he was remembering things from his past. He was remembering his time in the service. He was remembering his family. So I thought I was like, okay, he just absorbed some Superman uh, heroics and now he's going to like make the choice to try to like save the day by absorbing all of this energy uh, to try to kind of save people instead of just trying to get more energy. I think you could kind of read it in either way. I think they left it pretty open ended uh, because they weren't really explicit about why he was trying to go after the energy. So you could definitely read it as just it's a lot more energy and like that's kind of his whole thing. Or you could read it as him trying to save the day uh, because Superman actually did kind of get through to him. I I really like that interpretation because when I, when I was watching it initially and Superman, I mean, it's very emotional because I think Superman flies over there and he feels a little defeated. He falls to his knees and, and he looks like he's, you know, grieving over the loss of Rudy uh, this this man he had met earlier on in the movie and had tried to help, you know, it almost looked like Superman felt defeated because he couldn't save him. But what if he did? What if he actually yeah. did save him? Um, so I think that's that's a more hopeful, optimistic uh, interpretation of it. I just kind of went took away from it that like, oh, gosh, that's really tragic. Like uh, maybe there was nothing that anyone could say to him that would help him but i like the idea that maybe it did um even though the people there uh there's there's a lot of discussion in the movie about the the pub you know clark and having his fears about how the public is going to perceive him and the public does not do well uh no. <laughs> in that instance because superman tries to tell him tell them like hey he's not the alien here. I am. I'm, I'm, I'm the alien. He's one of you. Um, and to, to not be scared, not to be terrified of, of aliens or specifically parasite. And they kind of don't listen. They, they started throwing stuff at parasite and yelling at him and cussing at him. And, uh, so I thought that was, a, a unfortunately a bad representation of humanity that even after that big speech from Superman, we were still like, screw that monster yeah and and also <laughs> he had been starting to get uh he'd started to get through to parasite like yep. that was at the moment where parasite was starting to remember his own past and uh, just as he was doing that the the people started like throwing things and uh were like kill the beast uh <laughs> Thanks, Gaston. Thanks for nothing. Uh, and then he goes right back to being Parasite. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think humanity didn't have a great showing in this uh, in, in this movie. Well, I guess to be fair to some of the humans in Metropolis, Parasite did kill a lot of people. He, he listened. He he had he's been having a week, huh? Uh, Parasite <laughs> killed all those doctors and nurses in the operating room. He killed that dude at the the pharmacy. Parasite was really causing some chaos and killing some people. So some of those people could have known somebody who died. I I'm not gonna judge. Maybe that maybe they were really mad about that. I don't know because uh, he did. Uh, he did kill some people, but um, I I thought that the uh, the way that humans sort of reacted, I, I guess, felt norm, you know, like a normal human reaction. But I kind of wish they had 
maybe listen to Superman a little, a little bit better, but, uh, but that's, I guess what people do. I, I guess there were some humans uh, after the fact when uh parasite is revealed to be dead, he turns into dust. Um, when they show Lois and Ron Troop, they, you know, Lois sort of takes a moment to sort of understand that they're, you know, she closes her eyes and lowers, lowers her head as if she's like, recognizing that someone died, you know, that this was a sad, tragic thing. So at least there was some human element to it where I felt like they um, recognized that there was a loss. So I did like that. Um, I guess we hadn't really talked much about Lois Lane and both of us are big fans of the character of Lois Lane. So what did you think about this interpretation of Lois? Yeah, I thought this one was an, an interesting one. So we like kind of introduced to her as, what is she like a graduate student or something? She is. She is a graduate student who uh, is the recipient of the Luther Journalism Scholarship. Yeah, uh, the 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 Lex Luther stuff in this movie, I think, is a little absurd <laughs> uh, because the first first scene we get uh, of Lois. She's like, here is a recording of you describing your crimes to me, like very <laughs> explicitly, in like a very explicit way. You knew I was a graduate student in journalism because you gave me that scholarship. <laughs> and presume like in my in my in my like mental image, he's like just pouring champagne for her and she like just fully has her phone like this. <laughs> He's like describing his evil plan and he's just like solid choice Lex and then just like pats himself on the back and then like later in the in the um in the movie Lois is talking to Clark about somebody like uh maybe somebody smarter than you you should talk to he looks down at the paper and he's like ah yes Lex the man <laughs> the man who decided to outline in painstaking detail his frauds <laughs> to a journalism student trying to make her name in the big city. You know, that smart guy. <laughs> and I was just like, oh boy. <laughs> and then at some point, you know, obviously it's a, a curse your sudden and inevitable betrayal where yes. Lex is like, I will kill everyone. And Clark is like, who could have foreseen this? And it's like, Clark, my God everyone <laughs> he's not that smart he's not operating on multiple levels clark <laughs> my favorite thing about lex luther is martian manhunter ties him up like gets him away from that weapon and and like destroys his weapon that he has and just ties him up and, Lu and lex luther can't do anything he just sits there and ties he's just like, i tried <laughs> I, hope, I hope it goes well <laughs> you win some you lose some lex said <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought this uh, version of Lois Lane, she was a real go-getter. She did the big interviews. She um, went to the action. She tried to, even when they were on, you know, the city was on lockdown at the end, she got Braun Troop to, to go out there. Although she did like hang up on his 45 minute wait call that he, you know, he had been on like, <laughs> he'd been on the phone trying to get to the Pentagon for 45 minutes. And then she like, just ruined it for him kind of wasted his time i will say this this uh this lois is like a little mean actually yeah. <laughs> she's, like, she's like a little bit not great like she hangs up on his phone call he's like dude she's like, 
your stuff is not important. Uh, Diva's in the room. And uh, uh, earlier in the movie, when uh, when Clark is like, ah, yes, a smart man, Lex, the the one who just spoke to a journalist without even asking if it was off the record. Um, <laughs> she's like, she's trying to basically scoop him. She's trying to take his story. <laughs> she gets out her little notepad. She's like, why don't you just tell me, just tell mama your source. <laughs> Girl, girl. The, the worst part of that is that at the beginning of that scene, I thought it was real sweet. You know, Lois, yeah. Lois came over to Clark's apartment to check on how he was. And he had he had um, lost some of his powers because of the parasite thing. And he threw a glass and, and cut his hand. So, you know, Clark bleeding is very uh, unusual for him and probably experiencing pain for the first time. And uh, so Lois comes over. She's really sweet. She cleans up his wound and puts the Band-Aid on. And it's like, oh, that's so nice of Lois. And then right at the end of the scene, she does that bit where she wants to take his story and Clark calls her out on it. And I was like, couldn't couldn't they just have a scene where like she's sweet to him? Like, I, I, I thought that was... Uh, I, I thought they made her a little bit too abrasive in this one, if I'm being honest. Like, I like a, a go-getter Lois Lane, but I don't I, – Some sometimes in some different versions, they think, like, oh, if she's a go-getter, she's got to be kind of a jerk, too. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't always love that interpretation of her, and I think the Lois Lane versions that I like the best are the ones that kind of skew away from that um, with, like, you know – with her being really talented and good at her job, but not necessarily like trying to steal other people's stories while they're like sick. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I'm, I'm of the same mind. My, my favorite Lois's are ones who are more compassionate and care about the little guy and not necessarily like getting the story to get the story, but like getting the story to expose corruption or to, you know, uh, to, yeah, to, I think to call people, you know, have uh, people in power accountable. Like there's there's a fine line to dance with Lois Lane where you can't you can make her really good at what she does, but not make her. Uh, somebody you wouldn't want to be around or somebody who Clark wouldn't fall in love with. That's the thing is that for Clark Kent to fall in love with her, she there has to be something good in her. Yeah. And it's like, I, I'm not even saying that I don't always love the, like the more abrasive Lois types because thinking back to like the nineties, Lois and Clark, she's very much like, Oh, this guy that I'm stuck with. And she <laughs> is, she is for about eight episodes. And yeah, she's when- not always nice to him, but and then she goes to uh, Smallville. I think it's uh, the glowing green of home or whatever that episode is called. Um, that is when she starts to see Clark in a different way. And she sort of like lessens some of that abrasiveness. But it's interesting with Lois and Clark, like they started it like that. And I think maybe they sort of realize like, she's kind of awful. Like, don't she's do this. Of I, but I also feel like they were, at, at least they gave Lois like a reason to be kind of annoyed. Cause she gets like saddled with this guy and like, and she is awesome right out the gate. Like she is the star reporter at the daily planet. So and having somebody like, come some in, dude, yeah. that, like she just gets like kind of thrown with and she's like, Oh, oh my God. Like, I don't want to have to deal with this. Whereas some other versions like try to give her that same personality, but without, earning it (laughs) yeah without earning it like if like the first time you meet someone you're like oh why do i have to talk to you it's like no one asked you to (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't have to be like this and i don't think this version was 
too far in that direction, but she was like skirting it. She was skirting that line where it's like, I mean, we I don't feel like we need to make her like mean for no reason. Yeah, to the point where she gets bested at the end, almost like the butt of a joke because like Clark pulls that power move thing yeah. on her. <laughs> And I guess she sort of deserved it because she had she had been kind of full of herself at the beginning. But I also don't think Clark should do something just to spite her. That I had I had an issue with that. But but I think that there there were moments where she I thought was was good. Like there was a moment where she um she thinks that Parasite is gonna come get her. She drops her phone and and there's the threat of Parasite and Superman saves her. And because of that, she then tries to tell Superman, like, hey, don't let him touch you. Like, yes, they they sort of have this like uh, mutual trust between each other. So I thought that was actually a good moment for her. Yeah, I liked that moment a lot. I also liked the moment earlier in like pretty early on in the movie when after she takes down uh, Lex literally almost without effort uh, <laughs> basically just took himself down uh <laughs> she's uh in the daily planet and uh and perry is like introducing her to everybody in a way that is like not going to make her any friends and she's just kind of like oh no <laughs> he says something like good they all hate you now yeah <laughs> and i i really felt for the character in that moment because she wasn't trying to be like a show off or anything like that she was just trying to be like hey hi nice to oh bye nice to meet you <laughs> being really good at your job in that case uh became something that made her a little bit of an outcast yeah not it wasn't great for her i mean later on she probably didn't uh didn't help herself by hanging up people's phones it would have been <laughs> great if like he wasn't the only person's phone she had hung up she just like walked <laughs> through the office like just like slamming everybody's phone <laughs> she is not uh garnered a great reputation so far <laughs> the planet to the point where <laughs> superman is uh ditching her for an interview um yeah i i was kind of mixed on lois but i really like her design her animated design i think it's really cool like the the way they chose to do her hair and all that kind of stuff i know that's like a really superficial thing but... no i liked her hair yeah. in this one too i liked her hair and like her cool little jacket i thought i was like <laughs> all right lois is okay i'm a little maybe a little bit more mixed on her personality but i'm loving her look <laughs> <laughs> me too um so I, I i thought all of the character designs were actually pretty cool and um, one of the character designs that I wanted to ask you about was the um, the natural form of Martian Manhunter. And I was curious what you thought about his pure alien form. Yeah, I didn't love it. It's scary. <laughs> he looks like is the that Slender the point? Man. <laughs> That's, I mean, it is the point that they're trying to make. Is like, you can't judge a book by its cover. Martian Manhunter is Space Dad, and he looks like something that would uh, haunt you in the night. He looks like <laughs> a villain from The Conjuring. Uh, but, <laughs> but he's a good dude. Just don't look directly into his weird vertical mouth hole. <laughs> and you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the uh, the Martian Manhunter uh, design for this one actually made a lot of sense for the story it was telling. Because one of the things I picked up on, because I tend to watch these things twice so that I can make notes. The first time around is kind of a just immerse myself in the story kind of watch. And then the second watch is usually trying to take notes. And um, they talk a lot about the fear of aliens. 
Um, it, the movie starts out with a young Clark Kent and his friend. I don't know if that was Pete Ross or not, but there's some unnamed friend uh, and they're watching an alien horror movie, which Martian Manhunter says, or, you know, he calls those movies terrible. Uh, Martian Manhunter, the, the film critic, I guess. Um, <laughs> and, and Clark sees his friend's scared reaction to the horror movie showing the, the alien reveal. Uh, you know, there's a guy in the, the movie that looks human and then it turns out to be an alien. And um, so that really affects Clark as he grows up and, Jonathan warns Clark that there are powerful people in Metropolis who would love nothing more to get their hands on him. And Clark thinks that the public knowing about him might decrease their fears about him as an alien. There's a lot of talk about uh, fear of aliens and and what that means for Superman. I mean, even Martha gets in on it and she says, you know, I don't want him to feel different. And Jonathan is like, but he is different. This is something (laughs) he's going to have to deal with. Um, so I, I think for them to even have Martian Manhunter say, you know, I've seen firsthand how rampant xenophobia, xenophobia can destroy a great civilization. Um, those are those are things that I thought they tried to really do a good job with in t- terms of tying a, a, a theme around the film and how they dealt with that in terms of Superman, how they dealt with that in terms of Martian Manhunter, um, even to the fears of Parasite and how they sort of twisted that with him being a human who looked alien instead of an alien who looked human. I thought some of that was actually really good. And so the Martian Manhunter design where he's like this scary looking, like a genuinely scary looking alien, uh, I think I thought was a, a good touch. Yeah, it, I think it really does work thematically. Even um, when Lobo is uh, kind of making fun of Lois, the way that he knows how to do that is by saying that, uh, uh, that Superman isn't the only Kryptonian and that there's a whole invasion coming, which is kind of like playing on this idea that like humans uh, would be afraid of an alien invasion would immediately kind of jump to that, uh, to that perspective that yes, that's what would happen if there's an alien. And I, I really liked um, the conversation between Clark and uh, Martian Manhunter where he, he basically says to Clark, well, as the last of our kind, isn't our job basically to survive and to like, because our people live on in us. So, you know, keep staying under the radar and keeping a low profile. Like that's how we have to do it to survive. And I think it was interesting to see Clark kind of realize that that's not the path that he wanted to take. Yeah. And um, there's uh, also some conversation specifically with Jonathan and Martha and Clark where, uh, Jonathan basically tells him, like, you're a man now. You're a grown adult man. You have to make these decisions for yourself. You know, this is not something we can do anymore. These are these are your decisions. And so I think after that conversation with Martian Manhunter, Clark is like, OK, well, if I'm going to make this des- decision, I'm going to do it my way. Maybe Martian Manhunter would live his life like that, but I'm going to maybe do something different. And In my generous reading of the title, I sort of thought that that was what it was talking about, how he's the man of tomorrow. Not necessarily that he's this human flying man, but he he is a a man who's determined his own uh, path, I guess. He's or or at least he's made choices for himself. And so uh, for me and how I interpreted that he is the man of tomorrow because he is he's this man who's making these decisions for himself about what he wants to do with his career, what he wants to do with his superhero life, Mm -hmm. um, those kinds of things. And so I, I really, I thought that was actually pretty good. 
uh, for just being a, an animated, you know, uh, tight, what do we call it? A tight 90? Uh, it's a, a tight 90 minutes, uh, which <laughs> I always love. <laughs> Even for a tight 90, I think it actually tried to do something pretty uh, profound in terms of talking about the alien um, nature of all of these characters. Because uh, they had a lot of them. There are a lot of aliens in, in this one. Uh, so I really enjoyed that. Um, well, uh, is there anything else, Morgan, that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to? I'm trying to think if there's anything else in this, in this movie that I kind of wanted to talk about. Oh, I liked, you know, I liked some of the usage, uh, usages of a Martian Manhunter's powers, not necessarily the get out of death free card. I thought that was cheap. Um, okay. oh, but before we go on. <laughs> I do have a question about that. Are you talking about how he faked his like fiery death? He sure did. Yeah. So I have questions about that because I, I did too. <laughs> because Martian Manhunter, in my mind, could only shape shift himself. So how was he portraying fire around him? Yeah, I don't know. I I can came he out become, of that. Can he become fire? I came out of that with like so many questions about like the how his powers work. So did he like put it into their minds that that's what they were seeing? Did he do that thing that he would do on the TV show where he just like touched his fingers to his temples and thought real hard and then made them see him uh, see his entire skeleton uh, in the fire or like I, I was really I wasn't. I wasn't very clear on that. I just didn't know that he could like shapeshift elemental things. Like I thought he could only shapeshift his body and his voice I, and such. I thought that what he had done was basically like get in their heads and make them see something that didn't happen. Oh, which I guess technically he could do, but why do it for Clark too? Why not just do it for parasite? Huh? Or I, it, I think they were fighting Parasite at the time. Yes. Yeah. So it seemed a little confusing to me. I mean, I know the reason is that they wanted to fake you out and think that Martian Manhunter was dead and then he wasn't dead. Um, <laughs> but it didn't make a lot of sense why he'd be like, I, you know what? I need, I need this, uh, you know, uh, person, uh, the Parasite to think I'm dead to kind of get out of this. And, you know, while I'm doing it, <laughs> it would be really funny if Clark also thought I was <laughs> You had to really sell it, Morgan. Yeah, he's like, you know what? I am an actor. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, listen, I, when I commit, I commit. <laughs> There's no halfway. <laughs> so what other uh, about Martian Manhunter's powers that did you want to talk about? Were there I other did, uh, yeah. aspects of it? I did like that um, when he like tries to use his like mind powers on Clark, he uh, unlocks memories that Clark had as a, as a baby. Uh, and I thought that that was like a cool way of, letting Clark kind of learn about his origin story and kind of see his parents and see Krypton and things like that. Uh, I thought that was pretty, uh, a neat usage of Martian Manhunter's powers, especially in this version of Clark's origin story where he doesn't really know anything. He, they never found like the 
Fortress of Solitude or any of the, you know, info dump crystals, uh, <laughs> or they never knew how to use the info dump crystals. Uh, and uh, so he he's just kind of on his own. Uh, it's different than obviously my adventures with Superman, where they did kind of find the info dump crystals, but it was like a strange Kurt Russell looking dude who screamed <laughs> in a different language at him, and he was like, you know what? Never mind. I don't want to know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but I thought that was a great, like a cool usage of of, uh, of Martian Manhunter's abilities. I I like to I like to think of him like seeing the memories of a baby and how weird that would be. Like, <laughs> so um, that makes me think about that uh, that question about why would Superman go to Lex Luthor, who was supposed to be someone smarter than him? Because uh, Martian Manhunter, by doing that with Cal, baby Cal's memories, he learns Kryptonian. Yeah, so that's true. He, he's he's like, I can teach you the language, and it's like, I don't know, that maybe makes Martian Manhunter pretty smart. Why didn't he go? Why didn't Superman go to Martian Manhunter? Unless that was after he thought he died. Did, did he think he was dead at the time? <laughs> <laughs> what if? What if? Okay, I'm just throwing it out there. What if Martian Manhunter was like, honestly? When I found out he was the last of his kind, I thought we would be able to bond. That would be great. <laughs> but frankly, he's kind of annoying. And I like, I thought we were going to be best friends, but like now I'm thinking, like, do I want to be best friends? Maybe I'll just think, uh, maybe I'll just make him think I'm dead. <laughs> it's like, he's like, he's instead of out. like, instead of like try and like instead of like ignoring his calls this is his like his way of ghosting is just <laughs> fully pretending he is a ghost. <laughs> That also makes me wonder, uh, you know, Martian Manhunter, what if what if Lex Luthor really is the smartest person in the world? And and maybe Martian Manhunter posed as Lex Luthor during that interview with Lois. Ooh. And like and and maybe Lex is actually really innocent. And that would actually like be really framing him. That would be really fun if he was just like if Martian Manhunter was just like a little bit of chaos. <laughs> Like this is what Martian Manhunter does when he gets in when he gets bored. He's, He's been around cold. a long time. It's like I have been around for so long, and I'm staying under the radar. But that doesn't mean I can't live my life. <laughs> I can't. That doesn't mean uh, Jean can't have a little fun. <laughs> Maybe uh, that would be amazing. Smart. Yeah. Um, that is so funny. Um, well, I guess uh, we talked a little bit about the animation, but uh, were there any shots in this movie that uh, really stood out to you of something that you'll take away from from this uh, viewing? Yeah, I really, I, I think you mentioned it, but it's the shot where like Lois has got her phone and she's like taking a video and she drops it and you think Parasite is like about to come and get her and, and, and kill her and she's like hiding behind a door or something and instead when the door moves or the piece of metal moves it's it's superman i thought that was like a cool reveal and also kind of like very very classic superman and lois where she's doing something for the story that is like objectionably uh, objectively stupid uh, <laughs> just kind of like no one can see me <laughs> and uh and superman comes and saves the day uh i thought that was that was really fun 
uh, and kind of a, a fun call out to sort of that Superman and that classic Superman and Lois uh, relationship where he's like, oh, God, Lois just fell off a building. Hold on a second. <laughs> Lois like taking notes on the way down. <laughs> Look, she just knows that Superman is going to save her. So what does it matter if she falls off another She's building? Like, it's fine. I've, got, I've got this. He's got this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a really uh, actually a great Superman moment in this movie. Um, there were a couple shots that I really, really liked in terms of the cinematic nature of this animated movie because uh, it should be cinematic. Uh, um, there's uh, kind of at the beginning when uh, young Clark takes off his glasses, there's a transition from young Clark taking off his glasses to adult Clark putting his glasses on. I thought that was a nice way to get get the viewer from uh, Clark as a probably like a teenager to like adult Clark. Like he is we've we've jumped in time without having to tell us we've jumped in time. Um, I also liked, uh, there's a shot where uh, Clark's in his like proto suit with the goggles and uh, his sort of makeshift cape. Uh, And I think he loses the cape at this point, but he goes up into space and he's holding out his hand because he's, he's, I guess, discovering for the first time that the sun is empowering him and like re-energizing him and uh there's a a shot where he's holding out his hand to the sun while he hovers in space and like the sun is above him on the right and the earth is below him to the left and i just thought that was really good uh composition and had a lot of emotion without telling you anything and just relying on the visuals to do it so i really really love that and there's also one other shot that i thought was particularly good was um at the end when Parasite is, I guess, according to Morgan's reading that I really like, where uh, (laughs) Parasite is going to sacrifice himself to uh, stop the Parasite stuff from happening to everybody. And he, um, so Superman's like weak and he's in the water and there's a shot of Parasite where he looks really big and he's walking past Superman. And it's almost like being, it's almost the perspective of being Superman in the water, looking up a Parasite. And I thought that was actually really cool. So um, some of the uh, the shots and the the animation in this movie, I thought was actually really uh, well done. Um, so I was uh, pretty impressed with the the way that they were actually able to make this more cinematic in nature. Because some of these DC animated movies, like they're movies, but sometimes they, you know, don't take that extra cinematic uh, quality to it. So I, I appreciated that this one did, I thought. Yeah, I th- I thought this one was the the animation style in this was was really nice. I liked the uh I really did like the character designs of a lot of the characters, not just Lois and her cute little haircut and her nice jacket, but I thought Clark looked really good in this one. I I thought the Martian Manhunter looked cool. Uh there was one point where Martian Manhunter was talking to Clark and his little uh, his little cape, uh, like epaulets that like keep his cape on, looked like little hearts. And I was like, Martian Manhunter is just like so cute. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought everybody uh, looked really good in this. And the animation, I think, and the animation style looked nice in this as well. Uh, the one thing that I thought was pretty funny that uh, the animation, I think, got away with a little bit was the fact that Clark 
lost his clothes. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we didn't really talk about that. But in in Clark's initial attempts as Superman before he gets the, the suit that's made by Martha, his mother, and uh, uh, he's the the sequence of this is to get him to the point where he realizes he needs needs a suit that won't get destroyed. Uh, but his clothes, when he comes in from space and the re-entry during his fight with Lobo, uh, his clothes deteriorate and he becomes a naked Clark fighting uh, to defeat Lobo. Um, uh, so I think the animation got away with that uh, a lot more than maybe a live action version would, uh, especially for an animated movie. I thought... Uh, it may I guess it was tastefully done. Uh there were a lot of uh bare bare butts in the, <laughs> in this one. <laughs> when he holds when he holds the the guy up in front like uh whoever it was up in front of him to kind of like shield himself uh <laughs> from the nudity. I thought that was very funny. I, I thought it was weird that the Daily Planet articles did not seem to mention this at all. I, I thought that that should have been like the headline. Nude alien <laughs> saves the day (laughs) i also thought it was really funny uh in one of the early scenes when they show the daily planet headline where it's like lex luther exposed and then like below it is like aliens are real (laughs) that would fold (laughs) you think that that would maybe be the uh the the headline yeah the bigger story uh they could have combined them and said uh, aliens exposed and put a picture of uh naked clark on there. So, i don't know i don't know uh, uh what they would have done with that but i just thought that was interesting that uh the animation took a little risk with uh the uh the narrative bit there where you have to get i guess clark to a point where like he can't just wear his regular human clothes anymore so they had to justify uh why he would put on the suit so that, that was an interesting uh take on that uh, that seemed to happen a couple of times to the point where like he needed something. So uh, that was funny to me. Well, uh, I guess Morgan uh, overall thoughts, uh, would you recommend this to someone if they uh, were interested in a Superman movie? Yeah, I think I would. I, I, I thought it was, it was pretty fun. I thought that the story was pretty good. It had that kind of like personal connection because Parasite isn't just a monster. He is a monster with a tragic backstory. I thought Lobo uh, was fun and, and used, I think, pretty well, uh, as was Lex uh, and his inevitable betrayal. Uh, <laughs> I, I really like the, uh, you know, the sort of the origin story that they they told here, I thought was was pretty well done. I think it's it was sort of... Um, uh, I don't think it was like one of the the best DC animated things that I've seen, uh, but it wasn't the worst. So I think it's like a pretty fun uh, hour and a half movie. If you're a big Superman fan, I don't I wouldn't discourage people from seeing it. So I think if somebody was like, hey, should I watch this? I'd be like, yeah, it's a great time. Yeah, I think it's worth checking out if you like Superman. I thought this was a pretty decent take on his origin story and uh, established uh, characters who would be part of his supporting lineup. So I thought it actually did a pretty good job for what it was setting out to do. And uh, before we go out of the discussion, uh, Stanley asked, does this movie connect to other Tomorrowverse films? Yes. So this is the first in the uh, the universe of these films. So that's why we're talking about it so that we can go through all these films together. So that is uh, the first of the series. Um, okay. Well, I was going to do some snap judgments. 
And then I forgot to add them <laughs> in the doc. But uh, I think I thought of one. So maybe we could go ahead and just do one. And if you, if Morgan, if you have a snap judgment that you can think of, uh, we'll, we'll just do them on the fly and see, see what happens. Sure, yeah. <laughs> All right, so we'll do some snap judgments. In the game of snap judgments, each person is presented with two options, but must only choose one. First instincts are recommended and explanations are unnecessary. If you are Lobo the Bounty Hunter, which would be easier to, which alien, which a last of its kind alien would be easier to capture, Superman or Martian Manhunter? Ooh, this is a tough one. Um, is it the super Superman in this movie, right? Yes, yes. We're, we're specifically talking about... Uh, Superman and Martian Manhunter from this iteration in Superman Man of Tomorrow. I feel like I would go Superman in this one because he's kind of just coming into using his powers. Uh, he hasn't, he doesn't have a lot of like battle, like battle experience under him. Meanwhile, Martian Manhunter can like truly just change the reality in your mind. It turns <laughs> out he can make you think anything. He can make you think that you're like fighting a kitten. Uh, <laughs> he could make you think everyone is dead and on fire and you can see all of their bones. So I would probably go Superman. This is not usually the uh, answer that I would give because I think Superman is almost usually almost unfightable and unkillable. But in this case, Martian Manhunter is pretty strong. Yeah, I would also agree. I think Martian Manhunter would be the more difficult one to capture if you were Lobo the Bounty Hunter. Um, and the other snap judgment that I thought of off the cuff. Um, so uh, Parasite goes home to see his uh, daughter and uh, wife and scares his child. So what? Which do, which do you think is the more tragic outcome of that that he scared his daughter or that he broke his number one dad mug oh man that looked like a solid mug <laughs> <laughs> i'd be pretty upset about the mug <laughs> i'm going mug all the way <laughs> you know i think you know it is tragic that he scared his daughter but i think the metaphor of breaking the number one dad mug is very deep that he is now not the number one dad. At that moment, he wasn't being a yeah. number one dad. He he is. It, it's broken. It's shattered. He is not the dad anymore. So I think I'm going to give it to the metaphor of the number one dad mug shattering two pieces. Okay. I have my off the cuff. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, let's go. Uh, so my off the cuff snap judgment is sadder fake death. Okay. <laughs> Martian Manhunter burning to the point where you could see all of his bones, his full <laughs> skeleton, or Lobo blowing himself up into bits and watching as his uh, his hand slowly, so, so, slowly, so slowly, drops into the water. <laughs> Which of those moments did you think, oh man, I'm going to be, I'm so sad that character is dead. <laughs> you know, I'm actually going to say Lobo because I thought in the moment as he decided to blow himself up, <laughs> I thought, wow, that was really heroic of him. What what a moment. <laughs> wow. He was actually willing to do that for to them. To sacrifice himself. Wow. That <laughs> what, what a moment. So I'm going to say, I, I'm going to say uh, Lobo, even the fact, I, although 
Martian Manhunter like killing himself in flames, which is like his notorious weakness, is a real choice. But um, <laughs> but but I think for me personally, I it affected me more when Lobo blew himself up. That's a good one. Uh, yeah, I think Martian for me it was Martian Manhunter just burning down to cinder. Uh, I, I wasn't expecting it. I thought it was real. Why wouldn't I? Uh, and I went, I went, what? They're killing Martian Manhunter in the first one of these movies? How dare you? But really, I didn't realize that Martian Manhunter was like trying to work through something. You know, like, like he's like, I'm afraid of fire. So what if I pretend that I'm dying in a fire? Just really face my fears. Yeah, immersion therapy. Immersion therapy, he said. <laughs> nothing, nothing can scare me if I'm scaring myself. Uh, good for him. I thought that was more traumatizing to me, though. I was like, I see all his bones. <laughs> you know, that is fair. Um, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I, I'm out of snap judgments. Do you have any me more? Too. Me too. Me okay. too. Those are some good uh, off the cuff uh High quality, high quality snap judgment. Snap snap judgment since Rebecca forgot to put some in. Uh, So thank you for playing snap judgments. No judgments on your snap judgments. Well, I have continued for another week, forgotten to uh, uh, create some new plugs. So I'm just going to do a live read of them uh, to tell people where they can follow up with, with us if they would like to do so. Uh, that's uh, that the way that you can do that. If you want to contact Supergirl Radio, you can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on X and Instagram. I'll add Supergirl Radio. If you like what we do, we encourage you to give us a rating and write us a review on Apple Podcasts and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, Supergirl Radio is part of the DC TV podcast and Multiverse of Color Networks. So go check those out. Uh, You can, as always, hang out with us as we go live and wired on Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern on the DCTV podcast YouTube channel channel and the Supergirl Radio Facebook page. You can also watch us over there. Uh, DCTV Podcast also has a Tee Public store, so if you are in need of new DCTV-related uh, t-shirts or DC stuff in general, you can get t-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, onesies, mugs, notebooks, pillows, or stickers, and you can do that by going to SupergirlRadio.com and clicking on the Tee Public store link at the top of the page. Nice. And since we talked about Superman, a man of tomorrow, we have some Lobo designs, Lobo, uh, in the DC TV podcast, T public store that we would love to suggest now that we know he's immortal. Uh, <laughs> and now, you know, that too, people do love the Lobo character. He's very <laughs> popular. He's a very, uh, fun, loving, quirky, uh, uh, cool guy. Um, so we do have some new Lobo uh, designs that we put in the DC TV podcast T Public store. If you want to go check those out, so we've added some new merch thanks to Lobo's appearance in Superman Man of Tomorrow. And uh, we would like to thank our Legion of Super Sponsors for supporting the Supergirl Radio Patreon. These people are Michael, Anne Marie, Yvonne, Nicola, Abby, Miriam, Nicole, Brian, Ethan, Danny, Majubo, uh, Majuba, Zachary, Annie, and uh, Zachary, Annie, and Rachel. If you'd like to become a Legion of Super Sponsor, you can visit patreon.com slash supergirlradio. And if you'd like to follow me on the interwebs, you can find me on Instagram at the Derby Kid. I w- recently went to Atlanta Comic Con and uh, tried to practice some portrait photography on some 
uh, cosplayers that were there. And so I, I, got, a, I got a couple of good shots. Uh, I'm still kind of working through <laughs> settings on my camera, but I got a couple that I, I that I liked. And so I really appreciated everybody's uh, patience with me as I tried to figure out the lighting exposure stuff going on in the Georgia World Congress Center. <laughs> uh, and you can also check me out on the social media platform, Vero at Derby Kid. Uh, I'm over there sharing what I'm watching and listening to and uh, uh, making connections with uh, some other fans of the Zack Snyder DC universe. And uh, I'm actually going to be starting to drop some uh, little episodes or interviews with some other fans that I'm doing uh, for a series about uh, Snyder fans who have been labeled as toxic people. And that has just not been my experience. So I'm talking to some people who are actually really thoughtful fans um, that have uh, contributed to my love of those movies and uh, who are doing some really cool things in uh, uh, fandom and in, in their uh, real lives. I found out that um, uh, my friend Damien uh, is actually teaching Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice in his film course that he teaches. And I was like, yes, finally, someone is teaching that in a film in a film class as it should be. Um, so That's awesome. Uh, so I just recorded uh, an episode with Damien, and so I'll, I'll be dropping that on my personal YouTube channel uh, soon, which you can find at youtube.com slash duckbunkpride. Awesome. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mojotastic. You can also find me as a co-host on the Legendary Ladies podcast, where this week we are talking about Whiplash. And mm. uh, there's a Supergirl connection because Melissa Benoist was in Whiplash. I think it was one of uh, one of her earlier roles. And she has a, she's a brunette in it, just like she is in The Girls on the Bus. <laughs> uh, so there's connections everywhere if you look for them. Uh, so yeah, we watched Whiplash. I had never seen it. Amy had never seen it. Uh, it's one of Kat's favorite movies. Uh, so you can uh, you can check us out, see what uh, see what we thought of that. And then later this month, it's uh, it's all Avatar the Last Airbender all the time, baby. We're gonna do a uh, an Avatar pilot pod, and then we're gonna follow it up with a full season review. So the live action is coming to Netflix uh, at the end of the month, and we are going to. Uh, to cover it pretty thoroughly. I think we're going to try to to get in there right after it drops and talk about the first episode and then give ourselves a couple of days to watch the season and then talk about the full season. So we're excited. We're hoping for the best. Uh, these live actions, sometimes they are good. Sometimes they are not. <laughs> <laughs> so I have some questions uh, that maybe I'll post to you off the stream about Avatar The Last Airbender because I think there was something at Atlanta Comic Con that was this big like it almost looked like an animal creature with big paws Papa? maybe <laughs> and i was like is he real big he's like he got big paw. I real think big yeah that's that's appa that's like um like the main character he like rides around on him he flies the the big the big uh animal flies and he rides on top of it okay he was really cute and i took a couple he's pictures so of him <laughs> but i didn't know what the significance was but i did see on like a like a food truck vendor truck kind of thing that it looked like yeah. it was it had a a last airbender connection. I was like, oh, I need to figure out what that is. I think you like, if at any point you decide to uh, watch an animated show, avatar is really good. You need to get through. I'd say like the first couple episodes feel young, like feel mm -hmm. like it's, 
targeted at the age uh, that it was targeted at. <laughs> and when I started watching it, I was like, I am not eight years old and I don't really know if this is for me. Uh, but once you get a couple episodes in, suddenly things start clicking and you're like, oh my God, this is really good. And by the time that you uh, get to the end of the show, you're just like crying. You're like, the mythology is so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a, a whole episode where like Appa kind of like goes on an adventure by himself um and it's actually kind of a tragic episode uh but there's an episode and then there's an, like another episode where there's like a different um uh animal character that gets uh his own like little subplot uh, of like what he's doing so i like that the animals they kind of get their they get their own storylines like they're going through stuff too that's cool. Well, maybe I'll just check out that one episode to see what it's what it's like. And maybe if I like that, I'll hop in the rest of it. Because uh, I did walk by and I was like, what is this? I don't know, <laughs> but it's kind of cute. So um, uh, I guess I learned something about uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. So good to know. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Supergirl Radio. But until next time, I'm still Rebecca Johnson. And I'm still Morgan Glennon. And we think that cinnamon in your coffee is really going to wake it up. McGurk! I Do love typing. Do not mess with my Google Docs, Meeksy. Supergirl Radio is going live every night of the week. How do you like it? Is being, becoming a human burrito a plus or a minus? I don't know. It does seem snug. I mean, they say you are what you eat. Cheer up. I love that. So I do a podcast called Supergirl Radio, and one of our segments is Lena Luther boardroom or ballroom. Because really? She looks like a boss in this coat. Nasty Luther, like a different Luther. It's not just Lena being mean. No. <laughs> Helen Slater here. So fun to know that you're hosting a podcast called Supergirl Radio. Yeah.